and welcome. I'm Danny Torres, and thanks for once again tuning in for another exciting Talking 21 podcast, the official podcast dedicated to the extraordinary life and legacy of the legendary 21, Roberto Clemente Walker. Sadly, before we begin, I recently lost a dear friend who I knew for 16 years. And not only was he a New York native, actually born in Harlem, he also loved the game of baseball. He was a huge Yankees fan. As an all-star infielder, he was scouted and actually went on to play for a few teams in the Negro Leagues. His career was briefly cut short as he did a 21-month stint in the Army during the Korean War. He later signed with the St. Louis Cardinals organization, but because the pay was much better in the Negro Leagues, he would move on to play for two years with the legendary Kansas City Monarchs. Not only did he earn a college degree, including his master's, he also taught at the university level, worked for the New York City Housing Authority, and yet always spoke fondly of his days in the Negro Leagues. This year, he celebrated his 90th birthday, and just a few months ago, he was featured in a Toyota commercial driving around Kansas City in a brand new Highlander with a stop at the Negro Leagues Museum and Kaufman Stadium. I'm going to miss James Robinson Jr., but to everyone, whether it was signing autographs at the annual MLB FanFest Negro Leagues booth, speaking at a Sabre convention, a baseball discourse, or even on the Upper East Side in Manhattan, where he lived for over 40 years, we affectionately called him Jim. Godspeed, my friend. A sad way to connect Jim with the Talking 21 family, but I wanted my listeners to know who this extraordinary Negro Leaguer was. He will be missed. So episode four is here, and boy, that was quick. Our next guest knows plenty about playing in the Fork Classic. But right now, when I think of another National League team, the Cincinnati Reds, immediately without hesitation, the big red machine comes to my mind. I mean, that was a hell of a team that dominated, simply dominated throughout the 1970s, especially two teams, 1975, 1976. And on those teams, there were three future Baseball Hall of Famers. Johnny Bench, Joe Morgan, and Tony Perez. Could the 75-76 teams be considered the greatest MLB teams ever assembled? Definitely makes a rather lengthy discussion, but I'm anxious because right now I'm ready to introduce our next guest. He was a two-time World Series champion, a seven-time All-Star first baseman who belted 379 homers. He accumulated 1,652 RBIs in a 23-year career, and he even earned the MVP in the 1967 All-Star Game by hitting a game-winning home run in the 15th inning off another future Hall of Famer, Jim Catfish Hunter. This Cuban proudly wore number 24, and he's batting cleanup for the Talking 21 podcast. I'd like to also convey my sincerest condolences to the families of Baseball Hall of Famers Al Kaline, Tom Seaver, Lou Brock, Bob Gibson, and Whitey Ford. 
you'll hear our next guest share his personal thoughts on Seaver, Brock, and Gibson. But sadly for our next guests, this recent passing of another Baseball Hall of Famer hit closer to home because not only were they both enshrined in Cooperstown, but they were all-star teammates on the Cincinnati Reds, World Series champions, but most importantly, brothers on and off the field. Sadly, the untimely passing of Joe Morgan happened after we recorded this episode, but I'm sure Tony Perez will have plenty to say about one of the greatest second basements ever to play this extraordinary game. The Talking 21 family extends our heartfelt thoughts and prayers to the Morgan family and his teammates on the Big Red Machine. And here is episode four of Talking 21 with Tony Perez. So thanks again for uh, being on our show today, Talking 21 podcast. And before we begin, I want to, Tony, convey my sincerest, sincerest condolences on the loss of Tom Seaver, Lou Brock, and Bob Gibson. When you think of these extraordinary players, what comes to mind? Well, I play ball against all those these guys, and uh, they really are great players. I mean, they, uh, they play hard. They they play to win and uh, um, they compete and really uh, you you're talking about two greatest one of the two greatest speech of all time, Anton Sievers and uh, and Buck Gibson and a uh, and a great player, great outfielder and and great base runner, um, Lou Brock. I mean they you know talking about them it's like telling everybody what they know. <laughs> because they, they watch, they play, they know what they did for their team and what they did for the for the fans. Um, they love him. They love him. Uh, Brock and uh, and Gibson was uh, the favorites in St. Louis. A great city, great baseball city. And uh, and Seaver in New York, fantastic, Mister. Great. I mean, uh, every time I face those guys. Um, you know, you go you go one for four, you got a good day. And, <laughs> <laughs> no, no, that's uh, that was that was tough. I mean, you gotta have a great team to play those guys. We have a great team when we play, when I play with the Reds, but they were tough tough to beat uh, to beat him. Uh, and really, uh, I remember all those guys, and I'm very sorry about it. Uh, they lost the fans in St. Louis and New York, and the teams and the family. I'm, I'm very, my condolences to all the family and great, great ball players. The Baseball Hall of Fame is a fraternity of extraordinary ball players. And um, my heart goes out to you, Tony, because certainly I know you got an opportunity to know them very well. Obviously, you were competitors on the field, but outside of the lines, I'm sure you guys developed an unbelievable relationship. Um, I want to switch gears, Tony, because there's a beautiful Caribbean island where you was born, the island of Cuba. Tell our listeners a bit about your childhood and who really is responsible. We know who scouted you. We know who was a part of bringing you into the baseball fraternity 60 years ago. But tell me, tell the listeners of Talking uh, 21, 
Who really introduced Tony to the game of baseball? I was raised in a small town, Centro Violeta, and come away. And really, not much to do there, just work. The factory working, uh, for three or four months, you have to work hard. And the rest of the year, the rest of the year, it's no no jobs. I mean, they stop. Everything stops, and uh, and you have to, you know, you have to do it something else. Baseball was, uh, well, we have a team there. Factory have a team, and uh, um, I watched the, those guys play, and I raised watching those guys play, and, uh, um, and that they introduced me to baseball because uh, I loved the game. I used to listen and watch him, uh, the Winter League in Cuba uh, with four teams, Marianao, Havana, Cienfuegos, and Armendariz in the winter. And, and my father uh, used to be a, a great uh, baseball fan. And we used to watch and listen to him on the radio early in the 60s. Together with my father and, uh, and those the guys who play in the, in the Winter League, uh they all they all helped me uh to get interested in baseball and, and trying to be a professional. And uh and I watched all those guys play. Uh and one guy who was big in Cuba was Mini Minoso. Mini Minoso and, and Mini Mini was uh the guys uh every young player, every guy, you know, teenager that want to, to want to be like it. It was another great place in Cuba, but Mini was the big one over there. And uh, and, uh, and I told my mother one time, I say, uh, uh, I want to be like Mini Minoso. You know, they 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 teasing me because I was I was skinny and I went to uh, hundred sixty pounds, and, uh, and you know, and and they don't believe me. They don't believe I want to. To, to play baseball. They say, no, 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 you're going to be working here in the factory like, like I will do. And I say, no, 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 I don't like to work in the factory. I want to play baseball. You no, know, Tony, did that sadden you a little bit that they didn't really necessarily give you the encouragement or you just would determine, I'm going to play baseball? Yes, I was determined to play baseball. And, uh, and I don't think nobody can stop me. Uh, and I, uh, it's, it's what I did. And, and then when uh, when they called me uh, to enjoy the the, the, the Cuban Sugar Kings, uh, the AAA uh, in Cuba, uh, affiliated to the Cincinnati Reds, uh, when they called me to enjoy them in one of the and another and another province uh, to play a, a better baseball and go to the the Cuban Sugar King Academic uh, in Havana, and that was uh, that was great. They stopped believing on me. And then you know when the, uh, when then I went to a tour with that one of the team we make with young players go up. I even play in my, my hometown with the other team with the Cuban Sugar King and play the my home factory team. And they 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 see me play over there and send me around you know the islands and 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 then they sign me. I signed in nineteen sixty. Uh, professional baseball, yeah. That's what I, in my first year. You know, your hero, as you mentioned, was Mini Minoso, especially with all the, uh, those players, those um, guys like yourself that aspired to be like Mini. I had the opportunity to meet him, to interview him. What, a, what an extraordinary human being. And, you know, this year marks the 100th anniversary of the Negro Leagues, the founding of the Negro Leagues in Kansas City. 
We know Mini Minoso played in the Negro Leagues. We also know another player that's very familiar to you, and you helped me out when I was doing a story for the Baseball Hall of Fame, El Immortal, Martin Diego. So from, from, from speaking to uh, Martin Jr., from getting an opportunity to speak to Mini Minoso, any stories they shared with you? Well, they told me about it. Uh, you know, I played with uh, I played in 1960 in Geneva, New York. I played with uh, with Martin's son, the youngest son, uh, the Martin DeHigo Jr. And uh, I, we played, and then uh, we played that year. And when we come back to Cuba, I got the privilege uh, to to meet. He took me to his father. I told you that already. I uh, he told me to where his father's work in one of the newspapers in Cuba. And, uh, and I met him, and I can't believe it, uh, because I hear my father talk too much, talk so much about him, because I never see him play, and uh, he told me about him so much, and I was, I don't know what, what to say when I met him, you know, I was looking, at, and then he talked to me, and then I started talking and asking questions about it, and uh, he said it was tough to play in the Negro League, but it was great because uh, the, they, they, they give him the opportunity to play, to get out of Cuba and play, and play baseball. When I told my father I met Diego, oh, he cried, he almost cried. And I know that was very powerful for you. I see it in your face, uh, y lo siento mucho, because certainly that your father talked so much about El Inmortal, and here it is, you had an opportunity to meet him. So, Tony, you know, I just wish I was there with you. You know, you mentioned a few minutes ago that you signed in 1960, so that's 60 years ago. Your first pro contract, you were only 16 years old, but seven years later, you participated in the 1967 All-Star Game, and not only did you hit the game-winning home run in the 15th inning off another future Hall of Famer, Catfish Hunter, but I don't know, Tony, if you know this, there were 23 future Hall of Famers on that on that team and that game in the National League and the American League, combined 23 future Hall of Famers. So what are your recollections of that game? I didn't know it was that many Hall of Famers. In 2000, I got to the Hall of Fame. I see so many familiar faces over there. And I say, wow, I play against a lot of Hall of Famers. But in that game, I didn't know it was that many. And I was looking at those guys like I, I was in the paradise, you know, like Willie Mays, uh, Bob Gibson, and Juan Marichal. I saw Roberto Clemente, Orlando Cepeda, the guy who I played in, uh, uh, winter ball in, in Puerto Rico, and, uh, and I played in the National League, and I watched for so many years, and I want to be like them, and, and then I was there with them. I mean, it's unbelievable. It's I can't believe it. I pinch myself. I say, is it true? But that was great. And then, and then I didn't play in the first nine innings. Richie Allen started on third base, and he played nine, ninth inning. And then he hit the home run for the, for the other, for the only National League run. And Bruce Robinson, the other third baseman, hit the one for the American League. And then in the fifth inning, when I got in, I hit the another third baseman, hit the, the home run to win the game. I mean, that was unbelievable. That's interesting that you bring it up. It was three third basemen that basically that send the ball out the yes. ballpark in the game. Yes, and there was <laughs> there was a, a, we play on the twin like they were hard to see early in the game and by at, at the time and 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 there was a lot of strikeouts. 
I don't know how many, but that was a lot. You know, Roberto struck out four times in that game. <laughs> I can't believe that. But Roberto has struck out four times in that game. That was something, that was a some kind of game. And then when the shadows, when they, when they get darker, and then the, the, the shadow, the twin light went off, and, uh, and we see the bell better. That's what I came up and hit the run. That was great. I mean, that was something I never forget because I was MVP of that game. And, uh, and I sit there for nine innings without a play. And then I win the game. And, and my little son, one-year-old son, was there. What wasn't born yet. And, and, and then my, my son, Beto, was with me and my, uh, my wife, Pituca, and, 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 and Anaheim. And really, uh, uh, and let me tell you something a lot of people don't know about it. Uh, when I got to the hotel in Anaheim, I mean, in Anaheim that day, and, and, uh, and I get in the hotel, and I check in, and they say, well, no room in my name. I'm in the game. And then Tony Perez said, yes, we know that, but it's not ruined. But wait a minute, let me see this. And then they look at the list of the rooms and then find out one room and say, okay, we're going to give you this room. They were Walton Austin, the manager, because he lived in, he lived in LA, Los Angeles. And he didn't go to the, he didn't going to stay at the hotel. And he got the suite. And I got that suite from and the other time, my first All-Star game, I was the MVP. Unbelievable. <laughs> That's a great story. <laughs> we went to the room, and my, my wife said, what is this? What kind of room is this? This is the, the manager room. That was very sweet. <laughs> <laughs> it was a sweet, sweet. Sweet, sweet, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, uh, that World Series against the Boston Red Sox, and every fan, knows what Carlton Fisk, who interesting enough was inducted in the Hall of Fame with you, that memorable, I like to say, waving the homer, you know, waving it fair in game six. But Tony, you did something in game seven. You didn't necessarily have a great series. Your batting average was below 200. But Tony, game seven, I want you to put the listeners into the batter's box when you were facing Bill Spaceman Lee. My first time I faced him, that day, that then the first game he pitched, he threw me that pitch, and I swing, and they both bounces, and I swing at it, and that was embarrassing. I mean, I look at my, wow. I, you know, because we got a, a team, and when we do some a funny swing or whatever, they start laughing on the on the on the dugout, and I look at my, and I look back to the third base dugout, and I saw my. Oh, my teammates laughing at me. I mean, I laughed too. That was funny. But I was a little embarrassed. So many people watching the, you know, the World Series, just, and, and you make a swing like that. But I never forgot that. I say, uh, well, I, I didn't, I wasn't, then when I faced him again, I wasn't looking for that pitch. I wasn't looking for, but I remember what he did. I, I want to know what he did. So he threw it again. I know what it, and then the second time, and the second time, he he threw me that pitch again, and I didn't swing at it. That was I was looking at it. And I I looked what he did to throw it, and I looked what he did, and then I I took it. They called a strike on me. They called me strike, 
I say, okay, that was first pitch. No matter one strike, I don't care. When he threw it again, I got it back here. I know. I, I don't I don't wasn't looking for what I got because he was throwing me fast, you know, running fastballs away and keep the ball away from me and, and get it really in. He was pitching good, but he made that mistake. It wasn't the dog. I was, uh, we were three run down. It was a man on base, one on first. If I hit one, I, I might, we get back in the game. When I saw him stop, I say, he, then I knew what's coming. And then I can wait on it. And I wait on it, I hit the home run, and we got back, we tied the game and win it. That, that at bat, that homer provided the momentum, and right. the rest is history. Right, because we got that, we got that type of game, type of team. We need somebody to come back and hit the big one, and, uh, and then we go. And that's what we did. You know, Tony, uh, I want to turn the clock back a couple of years. Talk about the 1972 National League Championship Series against the Pirates. Your team beat the Pirates in five games. And uh, especially if we're going to talk about game five, a lot of things happened there, whether it was that wild pitch, whether it was Johnny Bench's home run. When Johnny Bench connects and hits the ball to right field, you know, that was Clemente, sadly, his last game ever. Yes, the 3,000 fit, which we just celebrated September 30th, was his last in a regular season game, but that series was his last game. So talking about Clemente, uh, Tony, what are your recollections of that particular series? So if we had to even tie in Clemente, but just your overall uh, recollections of that series against the Pirates. It wasn't just Clemente always. You had Willie Stargell. You had Al Oliver. You had some serious, serious firepower there. Well, that was, uh, that was a great series. We know we play a, a powerful team on, on, on the Pirates at that time. You know, you mentioned those guys. Willie, Willie was one of my favorite players and um, as strong as a bull. I back up at first base when he came out because, you know, you got to play deep because he can, he can, he can take your teeth out. <laughs> you, we, we hit one over there and, and then <laughs> you play defense against him on the right side. It's, it's tough. But, you know, the play then, uh, we know we got a great team too. We know we got a good team we, because all year when we play him, uh, we have to, we play games of what's 10 to 5, and, uh, you know, we let a run score. Pitching was a leader there. And because the, the offense was so, so big. But, you know, that when we got confident, we can beat them. And, uh, and, and we did. But uh, when, because we were down when, uh, when Johnny hit the home run and tied the game. And then uh, I got a base hit. And, uh, and then George Foster run for me. And then we scored the winning run on the wild pitch. That was, that's the, that, that's the only way we might can win that game because they was, uh, they was playing us tough. Um, and when you play uh, uh, Stodgers and Clemente and those guys, uh, you know you have, to, you have to score a lot of runs. And that's what, what we did at that time. Tony, your earliest recollections when you met Clemente for the very first time, what was your, what was your impressions of the man? Well, I, I, I met Clemente, and, uh, and I make a, I played the first time I played against Clemente in Pittsburgh and Cincinnati. Uh, you know, I was a fan because, you know, when I played against him, but I, during the game, I was a fan watching him play uh, because uh, the way he ran, 
and the basis, the way he played the outfield, that arm. And that was that was something I you know you have to enjoy to see. Like I go first base and he's in, and and I'm in the outfield and and then when I sitting on the bench waiting and not hitting somebody hit one over there and I saw him and the one here. I mean, I want to watch him. I want to watch him uh, play and and then uh, uh, um, but I make one big mistake in that game. I was uh, I was running on first base. I got a hit. I was running on first base. I'm 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 a corner, one of the first baseman, a big left-handed hitter. Uh, I knew I watched the outfielders. I saw Clemente was playing deep because he got power, and I said, "Well, it's okay because I want to watch the outfielder, but I can do my running." And then this guy hit up. It was two outs. This guy was this guy hit him no one out excuse me one out uh, he hit a he hit a blooper he he got jammed and he hit a blooper on the to right field and I I know he's gonna be a base hit and I I got my jump and I say I going for third base because I want to get in third was one out and with a second a fly ball I can score a run and then I, I turn around I turn around second I didn't look at the third base coach either and I just run. And then I say, I'm going to make it easy because he was playing deep and the ball was hitting that hard. And then when I get into third base, I saw the third base coach. It was a Cuban guy like Reggie Otero. And he was telling me to get down, get down in a hurry. And then I say, what are you doing? And I, 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 I slide, but I said, when I by my sliding, the ball just got on the guy's glove. And I can't believe it. I almost stopped in the air. We're going to try that slide because I say, I'm going to be out. And that was it. He got me. The boy, he was waiting for me. I say, I can't believe it. And I look at my coach and say, in Spanish, he say, Chiquito, go to the dugout. You know who was there? That's Roberto Clemente. That's Roberto Clemente. You know, run on him. <laughs> Next time, watch me. <laughs> Um, and that was uh, the first time I run against him again. No, I never did again. <laughs> well, you know, one thing that it's known that a first baseman, his responsibilities, uh, certainly to know where you position yourself, like you mentioned, a left-handed batter such as Al Oliver, Willie Stargell. But certainly when Clemente, Clemente arrived at first base, maybe he walked. Maybe hit a single. What communication that you have with Clemente? A little small talk as a first baseman to an opposing player. Roberto was the leader of us players and the, the Latin players in the, in the B leagues. He every time in Puerto Rico. One time we we met at the same time and um, we went to the doctor's office or one of the hospitals, and he was there at the uh, outside the office. And we talk uh, a lot uh, because he was giving us every everything you know about what we can do. He give us a, a good talk, good talk. He trying to help us. He help us young players a lot. That's what I can say about Roberto Clemente. That was him. Is there anything that you would maybe tell your pitcher that you would say, you know, before the game, hey, this is the way you got to pitch to Clemente? Is there anything that you can recall that you would? Kind of give pointers yeah, or I tips. Got a, I got a big one. 
I got a big one. I told my pitchers, I say, when Roberto, when Roberto had two strikes, don't trade, don't throw a ball, a high fastball or anything away from him or inside of him. Just threw the ball right down the middle. And he did that one time. One time it works. He, he threw, he got, he got Roberto and two strikes. And, and he looked at me, I say, right down the middle. He threw right down the middle. Roberto took it with the first strike. Because you throw my, we throw him a lot of high fastball away. And he hit a ball about 100 miles or, um, to, to right field because that's the kind of hitter he was. Prior to his death, Tony, because obviously you had a very strong relationship with him, just the way he treated the fans, that you saw the other side of Clemente. So it's almost like Tony Perez, what is not surprised that on New Year's Eve, he did that. Did you kind of hear stories about Clemente doing these things off the field? Yeah, I hear a lot. Of, all the time, I went, uh, even I went in Puerto Rico with him and Cepeda, we went to, to give clinics to kids. And, and Puerto Rico, we did that a few times. And, and I, you know, because it, it, he called us, he wanted us to help because he's, he used to have that in Puerto Rico to, to help the young kids, uh, to give him clinics around the island and, and things like that. And then when he, when then when he went to Nicaragua, you know what happened? Uh, I was I was with him at the day before, and and uh, the Iran Business Stadium collecting things so that people was bringing in. I was there helping. And then that's the last time I saw him. That's interesting to hear that that was the last time you would, was with Clemente because I was actually going to ask you that. So you were there at Hiram Beaton Stadium helping Clemente out with uh, medical supplies, relief efforts. So Tony Perez, uh, for our Talking 21 listeners, how did you hear the news of the tragedy? Did you hear it over the radio? Did someone tell you? How did you hear that news? Well, I live, uh, you know, we live in Isla, Isla Verde. Isla Verde is not far from the airport. And then we was, uh, you know, celebrating uh, New Year's Eve. And, um, you know, and then uh, we even hear about explosion. I hear about explosion. We didn't know what happened, but uh, we didn't know he was going in there. And then later we we find out there was well that was, his was on the plane and, and there was some all the all the festivities uh, stops everything stopped in Puerto Rico nobody everything stopped and then the next day we we meet on the beach and uh, trying to you know to see what happened but that was sad very sad something I would like to forget but okay, you can't you can't forget. Sadly, uh, Clemente didn't have the opportunity to uh, enjoy what you enjoyed 20 years ago at the Baseball Hall of Fame induction ceremony. And this year marks the 20th anniversary for you, Tony Perez, going in with Carlton Fisk. Actually, you even was inducted um, um, also not only Carlton Fisk, your manager, Sparky uh, Anderson. There was, um, there was also even a Negro Leagues player by the name of Turkey Stearns that also went into the Hall of Fame that was voted in by the uh, Veterans Committee. But uh, you mentioned something in your induction speech, your beautiful wife, and you said this to her, uh, Pituca. You said, I am not the only Hall of Famer. She's the real one. So now I'm going to ask you this. You had Sparky Anderson, your manager, 
You've had numerous coaches. You've had players tell you, Tony, I'm seeing you in the batter's box. You're doing this, you're doing that. But if she's the Hall of Famer, when you went home, when you arrived home, what did she say to you? She was the, the Hall of Famer. She, she take care of my kids, I take care of me, and, uh, and she was uh, great. And she is still great. I mean, it's, it's, it's something I, I love her very much. And, and really, uh, it's something that happened in my life, uh, the best thing that happened in my life. How many years married now, Tony? 55. You know, um, so many of us have the opportunity when we're watching a baseball game at home is seeing your wonderful son, Eduardo, with uh, work, doing his work, doing his job, play-by-play for ESPN, uh, talking a different language, a language that really did not exist. It maybe existed in another way, but now it's called baseball analytics. So what is your, what is your take, Tony, on today's baseball game that when you sit down and watch it, Maybe you call uh, Eduardo. Maybe when you and Eduardo watch your game, what's your what's your uh, take? Your overall take, your impression of today's game. It's a digital technology, and it's a different set of numbers. So, Tony, what's your take on baseball in 2020? Well, the, the game is different. The game is changing. Uh, it's changed already, and it's uh, and, and still changing. And, and Eduardo come up to me one day and say, "I'm going to do a game analytic," and I say, "What?" Because you know we don't have you know very fast. We didn't hear that. We we know we know the numbers. Uh, we know what we got. We know we have to looking at it. You know you have to have a good number to help your team and uh, make money, whatever. But I never think it's going to happen this way. I say I'm going to do a game. Uh, I'm going to do a game with uh, with some other two guys, uh, and uh, we don't want it because this game got to be different now. So now if today's baseball involves that term analytics, I'm just, I'm just going to ask you point blank. What did Sparky say to you and to your team that made especially, I mean, the talent is there, but there's someone in charge. There's a manager, un dirigente. There's somebody there that maybe it's that pep talk. Maybe he's just very observant. One of the things that I was always impressed with was a manager like Billy Martin. But what was the key with Sparky Anderson, especially with those back-to-back World Series teams? Well, Sparky, Sparky was very smart. Sparky knew when he took the team, he got a great team. Uh, we only need a little, a little stuff. We only need pitching. Uh, because back in the 60s, late 60s, we got, we got a lot of good hitter, good offense, but no pitching. And that's what we never win. We never got into the 70s. And then... Uh, Sparky, what he did, every time we have a meeting, a spin training meeting, Sparky with everybody, Sparky say, told the guy, say, listen, we got four guys here who are gonna, who gonna play and, uh, and be the guys uh, you have to follow. He was talking about Joe Morgan, Johnny Bench, Pete Rose, and myself. And, uh, and then you guys are great, the team too, you got a group of players, but those guys are the one going to lead you to a pennant, to a pennant race or whatever, to win a pennant. And uh, <clears throat> you follow them, and, and then I take care of the pitching. And he is what he did. And he used to call him a Captain Hook because he, he took a lot of pitches. So, you know, he used a lot of pitches that you don't give it much chance. And, and some of the relievers, I hate that on the starters because 
they want to they want to stay in the game. Well, Spikey, that's the way he did, and he and he was successful in that. And he he we win, and because we score a lot of runs, and uh, he know how to get the pitching going, and that's what uh, that's that's what he used to say most of the time. That's an interesting take on uh, on Sparky, specifically that he knew who the leaders were, especially offensively. And you mentioned, obviously, we one day hope, and you did mention that in your induction speech 20 years, 20 years ago about Pete Rose. And certainly, I believe uh, that time will come eventually for him. You know, um, finally, uh, Tony, and once again, you know, it's just been an absolute joy to uh, speak with you. But there's something that I wanted to ask you, especially after what occurred on September 9th uh, this year. I was at PNC Park. Um, I had the opportunity, the privilege of being one of the lucky media members to see the entire Pittsburgh Pirate team wear number 21. So for me, and you know, I live in New York. I told my wife, I said, I got to be at PNC Park. And I had the opportunity to be there to witness history. I saw it all on social media. I saw a little clip that you put up on social media on Twitter. And I think you know where I'm going with this. But let's just say right now, if Tony Perez, 2000 Baseball Hall of Fame inductee, is sitting down with the commissioner of Major League Baseball on the importance of... um, the importance of retiring Clemente's number. What do you believe you would like to contribute? What would you like to say and why you believe it's necessary now, especially that Clemente's number should be retired along with Jackie Robinson throughout Major League Baseball? So you have the moment to speak directly to the commissioner. What would you say to the commissioner? Well, I understand uh, Jackie Robinson opened the thing for everybody, you know, to play in the buildings for the for the Latin players, for the American players, for the Black American players, and that stuff. But Clemente was the the one who helped on this for us, for the Latin players. And I think the Latin players right now, I, 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 I Big, uh, they got a, a lot of Latin players that are doing great in baseball, and uh, and they part of baseball. And I think, uh, yes, I I don't know if they're going to do it, but I would like to see uh, Roberto Clemente number be on the side of, of Jackie Robinson because uh, he he do he, the way he play and the way he he help us. I had to go for. It. I have to say yes, I would like to see it. You know, but Beta Clemente passed away, his wife. I was there in Puerto Rico, yes, uh, um, you know, but I still have a relation with his son, Luis. The one I talk more because he did live in Puerto Rico, and I am still going over there in the winter, and that's the, but still, we have still had the relation with the Clemente family, even with his brother, I met him, I met him a lot uh, in the past year. Martino, Martino, yes, Martino. Yeah, and he's and he's still very sharp. He's still I very still, sharp. I, still, uh, yeah. won, I have to give you one of my bats to him like, when I come back to. Yeah. He won a Hall of Fame. I, I, I promised him. I went to his house and, and see him and his family, and uh, and I had to I had to bring him a bat. 
Yeah. And make sure you bring one for Janet and Judith too. Make sure. No te olvides de ellos también. I, lo I love them. I love them. You know, you called Roberto Clemente the leader, the leader of the Latin American ball players in the, in the majors, MLB. How do you believe specifically he helped those Latin ball players? What's, what can you pinpoint where you could say he really truly hoped Tony Perez? He truly helped Tony Oliva. He truly hoped Luis Tian, you know, that he, what is it specifically about Roberto that made him click? As we know the idioma, the language, but where, where do you say, or you could pinpoint where he helped the Latino ball player? He just speaks for us. He, he, every time he says something, uh, he's, he, he, he's not using to do it for me. For all the Latin players, I mean, he didn't use Roberto only Roberto Clemente. He used all the, uh, he only always say the Latin players, all the Latin players. He's talking about which one is where Mexican, Cuban, or Puerto Rican, or Dominican, or Venezuela, all the Latin players. Uh, and, and, and then he, he's, that's what I, I hear. It's what when I met with him, it's what he said, and uh, it's what he told us. And he was so depressed too. Uh, always again uh, uh, about us, and that's what I is what I, he was delivered. And because I didn't hear, it was a lot of great players too, but I never hear nobody, you know, talking for us at that time. You became very emotional when you were talking about your father, and mentioning, Papi, Dad, I met El Immortal, Martin, Diego. So here it is. There have been so many father and son's relationships throughout Major League Baseball. The Alu brothers, the Motas. Obviously, uh, your, your, own, your own experience of being in the Major Leagues along with your son who got to that level to play. I mean, even if we're going outside of it, let's not forget the Alomars, Santos, Robbie, Santitos. So there has been a long lineage of baseball families of the father and son, the father now sitting in the stands to watch their son play. So can you talk specifically about that relationship? Talk about the father and son and how the love of the game has been passed down. Because certainly if you think about it, your father did that. He didn't get an opportunity to play professionally, but he passed his love to you, Tony. Well, I, I got two sons, Victor, and the older one, and Eduardo. Uh, Victor played a little bit of baseball, and Eduardo, he was the one that, you know, he, he even do it on his own. When I wasn't around, he was going to play and do, do it and do that, and he was always swinging on the house. And uh, so one time he breaks something my wife, uh, something on the house, <laughs> Crystal or something. But, I mean... He he wanted to play the game. He wanted to play baseball, and uh, uh, he was tough. I mean, uh, uh, early in his career, I mean, like in high school and, and college, he got hurt. I mean, he, he got hit in the, in the mouth. He got hit in the face. Where he one week he was playing again. I mean, he, he loved it, um, and he still loved it. And what he's doing now, he loves to be on TV. And he loves to be on radio. And then he enjoyed playing the game. But, I mean, it, it, we always communicate, you know. He was here with me yesterday, 
And uh, we came down, we're talking about baseball, we're talking about what's going on, and you know, on the, on the series now, you know, on the playoff and all that stuff. But we're talking baseball and we're still talking baseball. That's the relation we have, that's the relation I used to have with my father. I mean, I wasn't playing yet, but uh, we're talking about what happened in baseball and uh, what for this guy, with my team, the Higo, Mignoso, and, and all the other, Camilo Pasquale, Tony Taylor. I mean, a lot of the guys are, are playing winter ball in Cuba. And that's what I, that's what the way I, that communication I have, I, I give it to my son because we love to, to talk about the game. Yeah, and it is a beautiful game indeed. America's pastime is not even America's pastime anymore. It's a global sport. And Tony, I literally can't thank you enough of being on Talking 21. The listeners are truly going to hear that we have marked this year as the 20th anniversary of your induction. Congratulations. I love looking at that video. I love when you acknowledge your beautiful wife. And that is a beautiful relationship indeed to watch how a father and son continue to enjoy baseball. Thank you, Danny. Nice talking to you too, man. Thank you. Thanks so much, Tony. You truly had a remarkable career. And thanks again for also sharing your recollections on the great Roberto Clemente. Until our next episode, thanks for listening. And please be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Talking 21 podcast for all the latest information about our episode drops. And if you're enjoying the show, please make sure to subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. A special thanks to our executive producer, Raciel Raz Guevara. Tune in next time for our continued conversation about the great one. And as always, this is your host, Danny Torres. And be sure to follow me on Twitter at DannyT21. Until next time, adios.